Hello, and welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm your host, Meg Linehan, but you already got that from the title of the show. Very packed episode for you today. First up, Kristen Press and Tobin Heath are checking in to discuss what they've been up to in quarantine, a new mentorship program they're involved in, and we've got plenty of bigger picture stuff about women's soccer. Then Andre Carlisle hops on to talk all things NWSL Challenge Cup. We're recording most of this episode on Tuesday, July 14th, though I spoke to Kristen and Tobin on Monday, but we wanted to make sure we would have plenty of knockout round content for you to listen to ahead of Friday and Saturday's games. Of course, after the final preliminary round matches, the quarterfinals are set. The North Carolina Courage will face off against Portland Thorns FC in the early game on Friday, followed by a matchup between 4th seed Houston Dash and 5th seed Utah Royals FC. On the other side of the bracket, the Washington Spirit are up against Sky Blue FC on Saturday at 12.30 Eastern, before the final quarterfinal at 10 Eastern between OL Reign and the Chicago Red Stars. Now, I wrote about this in my Challenge Cup column on Tuesday as well, but I do think it's worth taking the extra beat here to acknowledge the effort that players have put in through the preliminary round and also the physical and mental toll that the games have had for these athletes. After Houston's last preliminary stage match, head coach James Clarkson addressed these pressures with the media. I think you've got to appreciate the the, the pressure that these players have, have been under uh, through the whole of the, the build-up and, and being in the tournament. Uh, everything that's going on socially in the world at the moment, uh, our players are, are very active and, and they understand what's going on and, and dealing with those things away from football. Uh, and then the pressures of uh, you know being here, making the squad, uh, performing, trying to get into the into the starting eleven, playing in games, not playing in games. Uh, there's just a lot. And then you know being in a hotel that you know we can only walk around the parking lot, we can't get out, we, we don't get a break. Uh, we've played every four days for the last just over two weeks. So it, it's just uh, an accumulation of everything that, that's just building up. And, it, and it, it's very, very tough. And it's the hotel, you're in the hotel room. It, it, it's hard. It, it's a real grind. And uh, I know every team's going through it. And on Monday, OL ran forward. Bethany Balser had to actually come off the field during the first half. After the match, she wrote that she had a panic attack and couldn't catch her breath. Keep all of the players in your thoughts because it's really, really tough to stay mentally sharp and healthy in an environment like this one, Balser wrote. I know for me, I've hit an emotional wall and it sucks because it affects how you play no matter how hard you try to push through it. So even as we move into the quarterfinals, it's absolutely worth taking the extra time to consider these conditions for the players and how we acknowledge them as we continue to watch and discuss the Challenge Cup. First up today, we've got this segment from Kristen Press and Tobin Heath uh, discussing a whole bunch of stuff going on in their lives, what quarantine has been like, uh, equal pay lawsuit, some of the lasting imagery from that, and also their their approach to business and mentorship and a whole lot more. Uh, well, thanks for, for doing this uh, this morning. I just wanted to start off just trying to get a sense of what quarantine life has been like over the past couple of months. Last time, I think... I ran into both of you was at She Believes Cup and then before that Olympic qualifying, just trying to uh, figure out how, how life has been over the past couple months. I feel yeah, like- it's been different. The I've traveled, you know, less in the last few months than I had since I was a kid. So that's different. But, um, you know, I the way I kind of approach each day is just trying to to accomplish something no matter what the circumstance. And I think staying put uh, has its challenges, but it also has its opportunities. And um, it's allowed me to really, really focus on uh, my business and individual training to get better. Um, and, and I think that that's actually quite cool to see, you know, after a long period of time, like how much can I accomplish and, you know, how much um, can I grow? So that's sort of how I've approached it. Yeah, Tobin? Yeah, I feel like um, quarantine has kind of come in like a lot of different waves for me in the beginning. Obviously, it was something really weird because, you know, we're so used to traveling that um, being in one place. I mean, I've never been in one place for this long my whole life. So in the beginning, I kind of had like an itch to like go and to move and to be playing games and stuff. And then you kind of settle in and I feel like instead of waiting for something to change or, you know, to things to return to normal, it's kind of like what Kristen said, it's just taking every day, taking every moment, every opportunity to grow and to get better and to not look at what you're missing, but to kind of put into your life the things that you want to be doing. 
Yeah, I I tried to make sure that early on I took off from my calendar. Okay, like I should be in Japan right now, right? Like, how do you, you know, obviously in theory, we're we're getting an Olympics next summer, but what is that shift of, you know, I feel like a lot of other US national team uh, players have spoken about this in terms of, you know, you always have that one-two punch of World Cup into Olympics and then to have the Olympics get pushed back a season, obviously it changes the the mentality of this moment. H- has that been an adjustment for, for both of you, Tobin, if you want to start? Yeah, I'm kind of like, uh, does it even count as the one-two punch anymore? Because I feel like the whole reason why, you know, you play a World Cup and then it's like, you know, to obviously win back-to-back is really difficult because of the turnover and because of the time and kind of that emotional roller coaster that you go through from from winning um so so I feel like that doesn't exist and I mean I feel feel like sports um at large I feel like we don't know what this summer is going to look like so I think changing kind of your perspective uh yeah it's weird because I feel like when people are like oh are, are you bummed that you're not in Japan right now I'm like yeah for sure but I, I can't really change the what's going on in the world. Um, and, you know, I think Kristen and I are both super lucky because, you know, we've had such incredible careers. So um, obviously we know what uh, Olympics feels like. So in that way, we're, we're gutted to not be, you know, doing that right now. But I think we would for sure be choosing that over anything else. But I think, you know, you can't really get stuck up on things that you can't control. Mm-hmm. Kristen? Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting reminder that everything is transient and these like things that you have in your mind that are like certain. Like, you know, if you I didn't know if I would be at the Olympics, but like I knew the Olympics would happen, you know, like there's certain things that I just like believe in my mind are guaranteed. And this last few months has just blown that up again, you know, and, and it's, it's true always. It's nothing is certain, nothing is guaranteed, but you just like, it's hard as a human to like process things that way. And so now I feel like I'm just taking things day by day and I don't even want to get too attached to the idea like, okay, we're 12 months out from an Olympics or anything like that. Like, I think at the end of the day, there's a balance between, um, staying fresh and not like burning out and not like trying to sprint towards the next goal. Uh, because I think in like in an anxious mindset, you might just be like, okay, I got to turn on, I got to go to the next thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, this is kind of a long period of time, a lot, a lot of uncertainty. And so I'm just balancing like staying healthy, staying ready. Um, and then also like staying happy and staying fresh. And I think that's like a really good place to be. And just like kind of waiting for, you know, what's next? Like, is there going to be camp in a few months? Like, what, what's the next thing I need to prepare for? Because until I have um, some, something to plan for, I think I just am trying to stay in this really good place where I can be ready for whatever happens next. Right. Yeah. So one of the last things that we saw before, I mean, basically the entire sports world shut down, you know, the, the last final game of She Believes Cup, we had this moment of, first of all, the team winning, obviously, but the team also coming out onto the field in those warmups where the, the warmup jerseys turned inside out and it's turned into this very like lasting image. And obviously there's been so much stuff that has happened in the lawsuit since then as, as someone who gets to, you know, read through court filings practically every Friday night, trying to break them down for folks. But, you know, that, that image, like when I go on Twitter, I still have, you know, like a hundred people tweeting at me with that image of the four stars only no crests. And I'm just kind of wondering from the player point of view, from that, the perspective of the momentum of that, that image and that protest, what have the past few months been like on that front? Because obviously it's not just about the games, right? There is this other part of it. And we don't have to get into the specifics of the lawsuit and, and, and lawyer changes, but like, obviously this is not just a lawsuit. It is, it is a much larger moment. And now it is put in this context of a lot of other social moments happening at the same time in a completely different way. So I'm just kind of curious as to where your heads are at on that. And Kristen, if you want to start with that one. Yeah, I think it's crazy to go back to that moment 
and then like think about where we are now um, because everything was happening so quickly um, and we were you know fast approaching the Olympics and, and preparing with the new coach and it's like almost hard to remember feeling like that but um, the interesting thing and something that I've learned by playing, playing on the national team for a few years now is that like you never truly understand the impact of like your actions and you know we knew that like taking you know flipping our warm-up shirts would be you know a peaceful way to make a statement and like make a point and you know but be respectful to everybody and you, you just don't know how much it's going to take off or catch wind or how much it's going to how much it's going to mean to everybody else and it's like the small things like that that like remind me like the power of what we're doing and, you know, we've been in this lawsuit or this fight for equality at large for so long, for almost my entire career, you know, I, and it's, we've come so far. And I think a simple gesture like that takes so much courage and it takes so much unity and it's so hard and it seems like it's just something easy, but it's actually so hard and, and, um, and so I, I feel really proud that that's kind of the last like courageous um, statement that we made as a team uh, before going into this long stretch. And, and now in the, in the spirit of so many people being brave and standing up for what they believe in, um, I think it's incredible to see. I think the, the time has just has been sad. Has, there's been a lot of sadness um, for me to, to just be experiencing and re-experiencing the injustice, but also so much hope um, for people who are, you know, you know, public figures who have responsibilities, but also just like every person like who's been brave and who's been protesting and has been standing up and speaking out about what they believe in. I think, um, you know, you don't necessarily know when you're doing it, how much it, it could matter. Um, but I think the simple act of inspiring the next person to be brave is, is really powerful. Tobin. Yeah, I think you pretty much said, said it all. I think that, you know, those moments that are seen kind of those outward facing moments, you know, that are really big and powerful kind of towards the public. Um, those are lifelong journeys that everybody's been on, especially, um, you know, our, our fight on the national team is unique, but it's also really relatable to, to a lot of people. And I think that's why it's so powerful. Um, I always say that we're fortunate to have a team of people to do it with. I think there's a huge power in community and having a team. Um, and it just seems like the collective uh, is so powerful on our belief in our fight. And I know that it's something that we're all in it for, for the long haul, um, whether it's uh, through this law lawsuit or, or in our own lives. I know that we're all very um, deeply passionate about it. And it's, it's something that, that we're going to continue on. Yeah. One of the things that I've always been really struck by is for, for women soccer players, I feel like you're always more than a player, right? Like there's in this case, a, a labor organizer, right? Like you have to build that community within the team, but you know, being a marketing expert, like knowing how to handle your career and, and knowing what direction it, it can go in. And then both of you obviously like getting into the business side of things as well. And I'm just kind of curious, like, how do you navigate all of these demands? Like, you know, you might go into this thinking, okay, I'm going to be a soccer player. And then you end up having all of these other skills that come into play. And like, how do you make that decision to like, say, okay, I am more than a player. I'm going to add this business side onto it. I'm going to become a mentor. I'm going to do all of these other things and still at the end of the day, have to balance that against still with the soccer career. Tobin, <laughs> big question. Yeah, that's a huge <laughs> question. Um, I think uh, for me, and I'm sure Kristen has a different answer to this. Um, for me, I, I feel like, you know, as a, a women's athlete, we're kind of burdened with this extra responsibility. Like it's not enough to be a professional athlete because honestly, in a lot of ways, it's not enough. It's not enough to sustain um, our lives. You know, we have to get other jobs. We have to find other opportunities outside of our salary that we make um, just for playing. 
So I think that, you know, we are pushed to do that. We don't really have a choice in a lot of ways for doing, you know, multiple things. Um, I think it's a superpower in a lot of ways um, because when you're pushed to, you know, do more than just what you're doing, there's enormous growth in that. So um, I know that I found myself doing things that I would have never thought I'd be doing as a football player. Um, and I think for me, it's been challenging because I think I've always wanted to just be a football player. And I mean that not in the sense of that there's not more to me. I mean it in the sense that that's my job. That's what I've invested the majority of my life doing to be excellent at. And I, I feel like there's a certain amount of then like, oh, that's, that's not good enough. What else can you do type of thing? And I feel like I, I, you know, love the opportunity to be a professional athlete. I think it's, it's incredible. And I wish, and I think that's what I wish for, you know, future generations that they don't have to feel like that. They have to be something more than that. And that's not because, you know, they're not going to be these amazing role models and everything else that everyone um, expects people to be. Um, but it's just because we want them to financially be in a situation where they can be a professional athlete and they don't have to then be something else. Yeah. Yeah. Kristen. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think I also take it from the opposite perspective in that, like, we're all so complex, like men, women, all of us. And so I, I feel like society was like, society can put you in a box and so for myself like I have always been um interested in like using my career to make the most impact that I can and I felt in my career often that if I were to spend a lot of time helping run our union or if I were to start my own business it's actually like oh are you planning for what you're going to do after you're playing like are you getting ready for retirement and no I'm not I'm you know I'm a complex person and I have multiple skills and I have multiple passions and I think part of the reason we started re-ink was to break free of that label that you can only be one thing and and exist in another space that wasn't built for us um and, and I feel you know quite strongly like the world of sports was not built for women's sports. It wasn't built with women's sports in mind. And like the world of business was not built for female entrepreneurs. And so I think just existing in those space, spaces are your like first act of resistance. And, um, and you know, I've learned through soccer and through the lesson of being on the national team, um, what that feels like and what that means. And so um, then I've been able to now take that to my business and different partnerships um, and, and really lean into being complex and multifaceted and uh, being able to give and contribute in lots of ways. Right. So the thing that we're, we're really here to talk about is the fact that you, the two of you are, are going to be involved in this mentorship. And I wanted to get what your, when they approached you and said, okay, we're, we're running this program for female entrepreneurs. You obviously have the business experience. I think that there is obviously like a real inherent property to re-ink with the diversity inclusion aspect, right? What was it about this particular opportunity and maybe these particular women um, that attracted you to doing this? And like what specifically you think both, I guess, the U.S. Women's National Team experience and then also the re-ink experience means that you can bring to, to a, a mentorship relationship with people. Kristen? Yeah, I feel so clearly that it's the element of mentorship. Um, Tovin knows from the business that like, I feel so strongly like I would not be able to run a business if it wasn't for the females that I have turned to uh, for mentorship. I, I like love it. It's my, it's my favorite part of running a business is actually learning from, from people who have different skills and more experience. Um, and I like crave mentors in my life. And I've been blessed to have, you know, several amazing people really guide me. And, you know, they taught me the secret that nobody knows anything about running a business, so you can do it too. Um, and so I think now I, you know, and also in Reink, I 
you know, we hire young people and I do have this like beautiful element of mentorship that, that already exists there and I love it. So I think with the Stacy's Rise project, the thing that I'm most excited about is being able to expand um, that group of people um, and reach people who are, you know, young on entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs who've been doing this for longer than me, but to just have a different experience and be able to share um, learnings and lessons um, and know that, you know, I am really lucky through soccer that I've had these access to these amazing people that can guide me. Um, but not, you know, a lot of female entrepreneurs don't have that. And so if I can offer that to somebody else, I think, you know, the more women we have in powerful positions, the better off our world is. And, and that's something that's really dear to my heart. Yeah, Tobin, I know, you know, you spoke a lot about community. And I'm just kind of curious as to where you, you view relationship building like this as part of that community, obviously there's, there's stuff within the team, but then to be able to bring that and, and maybe widen that community out a little bit, is that something that is attractive for you in, in this particular situation? Yeah, I think um, starting from kind of our origin was the national team and, and fighting and fighting, you know, obviously against, you know, our employers and, um, fighting for more representation and uh, more opportunity. And, you know, it always felt like we were pushing against a wall that really didn't want to move. So we kind of flipped our thinking and we said, you know, how about we continue to fight for, because that's important. You know, that wall is going to take a long time to break down, you know, but we're going to continue to, to keep breaking down our parts of it. But how about we fight for something? So turn the other direction and create something new. And, you know, Kristen always, you know, preaches this us in, in our company is that, you know, we, we feel like we live in this world of scarcity, that there isn't enough opportunity for people. So therefore, you know, the most powerful people just hold on to things. And, and we believe in a world of abundance and we want to give that opportunity, obviously for all. And, you know, we, we were so, we have such a unique opportunity because we already have a platform that allowed us to, you know, achieve things that in the business world that probably would have been a lot harder for people just starting off, you know, that don't have the name or notoriety or accomplishments or whatever, but maybe they have a great service or a great product or a great experience to offer to the world. And, you know, I don't want to believe in this world where, you know, before you've even started, you've lost, you know, I want to continue to give opportunity to people that haven't had opportunity and you know that's part of what's so great about about our company and about the Stacey's Rise project is that I think like Kristen said just existing in this space just being a company that was founded by four women that is already doing something and um, we want to continue to allow more women to experience that in the world of entrepreneurship in terms of getting the resources that they need getting the mentorship that they need and just feeling empowered um, or powerful um, to be able to really take it to the next level and to not feel like they have, they, they're already behind before they've even started. And that's why it was a no brainer to partner with Stacey's on this, because this is everything that, that we believe in and that we're fighting for. Yeah. Chris, I know, you know, you spoke about the, the sports world wasn't designed for women's sports. And I feel like 2020 really, like all of this is kind of in the same world, right? All of this stuff lives together. And, you know, this is supposed to be kind of the summer of women's soccer again. Like we had 2019 World Cup win, all this momentum coming in, a lot more, you know, like big name sponsors coming in for NWSL. You had the support of Budweiser, um, Challenge Cup. And then in theory, we were going to be able to build uh, to the Olympics. You know, that timeline has changed, but I just, I wonder what your sense is in terms of the sport overall, in, ter in terms of maybe how uh, women are, are moving through this space. Like, are you hopeful? Like, do you think that there has been a momentum shift in a real and, and fundamental way after 2019 into 2020 and then hopefully moving forward into 2021? You know, I think having now, during my lifetime, I've experienced you know, three World Cup victories for, for the U.S. Women's National Team in, in different phases of my life. Um, and I think from the outside, it really does affect the sport and the trajectory of everything that we're doing. It really, really does. I think from the inside, 
when you're trying to create the change, it's chipping away and it's taking small steps. And I, for the last four years, when, when I've been interviewed, I've always said like, this is the time, like this, things are changing. Like I could feel it and I can feel it. Um, and now I think, who knows, who knows, you know, who knows how this is going to affect our sport. Um, you know, sports, all sports, men and women, uh, women's sports, women's soccer. Like I, I honestly don't know about the larger effects of, of COVID, but what I do know is um, that the world really cares right now about resetting um, and not going back to status quo culture and not going back to structures that have inhibited certain groups of people from succeeding. And um, I know that, you know, if, if anyone was made for a long, hard fight towards, uh, you know, social equality, it's the U.S. Women's National Team. And so, you know, I am very hopeful. I'm hopeful for, you know, a brighter and better future and a, a shared commitment from humanity in response to this to, to build a better world inside and outside of sport. Awesome. Tobin, any last thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, I do think that, that like Kristen said, the U.S. Women's National Team, the, the incredible leaders, uh, the women that have come before to, to empower the group of, of leaders that exist today, um, that whole movement that you were referring to, I always think like, after you know each big victory at where like the whole world just seems to have like you know really captured i mean there, we've had huge sports moments i mean moments that i always say that you can't write in movies you can't they're they're so incredible and you know as much as you know we work so hard to create those moments to have those moments to create those victories i do believe that this team has been a vehicle and an instrument for so much more and and i I am so lucky to have, to be part of that, that a small part of that story. Um, I always think that we could do more. Um, and I think that's probably why, you know, we try to keep winning more because I don't think we're ever satisfied um, where, with where we are in the sport, um, with where we are in the world. I think we're always going to be looking um, for more change and, and for more, um, opportunity and and that's what's so special about the group is that they're never satisfied whether it's in sport or whether it's off the field challenging the status quo um it's it's a special group and and it's a powerful perfect all right well my dog has announced that this is the end of the interview so thank you for the time i super appreciate it and uh hopefully at some point we do see uh the national team back out on the field thanks All right. So thanks to Tobin and Kristen for that. If you want more, we'll also have a companion piece up on The Athletic today about their mentorship program, everything that they discussed on the podcast. So if you want even more content with Tobin and Kristen, make sure you check out the feed on uh, NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team as well. Next up, we've got Andre Carlisle. He's a writer. He covers the Washington Spirit. And we're going to break down everything that you could possibly want to know about the Challenge Cup quarterfinals and the Washington Spirit. All right, so I really want to talk to you about the Washington spirit. But before we actually get into the Washington spirit, I also want to take a quick spin through. I feel like you've you've watched pretty much every single game live. I feel like the two of us are really always online <laughs> during these games. But have you have you managed to watch every game at this point? Uh, I have. I'm I am an extremely online person, uh, so I have watched them. If 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 anybody from my regular job is listening, I was working as well. <laughs> Yes, I, I remember those days uh, somewhat fondly. Um, all right, so let's take a quick spin through the quarterfinals. Uh, obviously, we're we're going to start off with North Carolina Courage and Portland. Uh, yeah. We we both watched North Carolina play last night and do North Carolina things. So in in this matchup, you know, did did anyone really truly expect Portland to be in eighth place? I guess is the first question we need to tackle. Yeah, no, that was very interesting. <laughs> even even if you know their their game plan of just letting Lindsey Horan do everything um, 
would have, I guess, worked in most games, <laughs> or at least a game or two. They should have avoided it. So I'm not really sure what's going on there. I saw um, leave their owner mentioned something online about it's fine. And if he says so, all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think Portland, you know, they had started this rebuild in the offseason. Yeah. And then obviously pandemic hits. Uh, they don't get a couple of players that they're targeting yeah. and things kind of go sideways for them. But still, at some point, you're kind of just going, well, it's Portland and we expect results out of Portland kind of no matter what, even though they have obviously struggled in the past. But yeah, I, is there anything that's really sticking out to you when you watch Portland? Like, I feel like, you know, Sinclair is clearly trying to do a lot. But as soon yeah. as Sinclair really starts trying to do a lot, that's when you can almost always tell that things are not going well in yeah. Portland. So are, is there anything that you're seeing out of Portland that's like a clear like, oh, no. <laughs> a few things, really. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just they're, they're a bit normally we're used to them being dangerous. And I don't know if it's just, you know, the I, I can imagine for them, especially for some of the players who have been there for a while, getting away from, you know, the, the, I guess the comfort, the home comfort of their fan base and, and their supporters really pushing them on. And you know, I don't want to push, push it all on that, that there's nobody watching the games. Cause that is a little bit ridiculous. They're still professional players, obviously, but there's just something that isn't clicking. They're not getting the same, the same patterns aren't working. They're not getting into those really dangerous areas and able to score goals. So it's been pretty disjointed uh, from re really from kind of midfield on where, you know, kind of important <laughs> and, and they're having a hard time. And I, I haven't watched them. I haven't studied them enough to know exactly what they need to fix. But again, like I was saying, if it, it seems to be saying it's fine, it, things don't look all that fine to me, but I am just a person who talks, who writes things on the internet. So yeah, <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's all of us. <laughs> all right. Moving on, Houston, Houston Dash, Utah Royals FC. Uh, we were both pretty firmly on Houston, our good train, and that ha that train has kind of uh, taken a new path. Um, though I, I do want to acknowledge, you know, obviously Houston is going through a lot of the same struggles as, as a lot of other teams in terms of the pressure and, and playing a lot of games in short turnaround. But yeah. Houston versus Utah obviously was like really the first like crazy good game of this tournament. Yes. And I'm kind of curious to see... Do you think we're going to get a repeat of that? Or do you think we've probably now settled into this tournament a little bit more? Uh, we've probably settled as much as it pains me to say that. Um, I've also learned my lesson about telling people that <laughs> games are going to be good and then they're not. So um, I, I would love to see a repeat of the craziness uh, that we had in their, in their first matchup. I think that obviously all the components are there and a knockout round. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> and a knockout round should really, you know, bring a kind of accentuate that a little bit um, unless players get tight, but players haven't really played tight. And I know that it's because in the opening round, everybody advanced, but it seems like a lot of team, just about every team is using this as an opportunity to build on something. And I think that approach is really important to, has been important to the style of games that we've seen. We've seen some really high quality games, with a lot of, you know, different little changes that are happening here and there to kind of counteract or throwing players in an unfamiliar position or not, maybe not unfamiliar positions, but new positions and new players out there. So um, I really like what Houston's doing. They're, they're a crazy fun team to watch when their press works and they're able to turn the ball over, they can ping the ball around and suddenly the ball's in the back of the net and you're like, what just happened? Uh, so I hope we get to see a lot more of that from them because it would, it would be sad if that, if that Houston is great train was so short lived. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But on the flip side, you have Utah and you have players like Amy Rodriguez and, and Vera Boquete doing like, I think just as much fun stuff on that side of the, like, I feel like for both of them, we have not seen them in a form like this for a while. Yeah. Like it, it has been really fun to see Amy Rodriguez in like pure FU mode, like <laughs> making runs off the ball. Like I, I personally feel like I could watch that in every game. So. Oh yeah. I would, I would, it would be great to see some of that happen. <laughs> uh, seeing, seeing a rod back to back to being her has been awesome. I mean, I still think, you know, there have been some great goals already, but that Labonta pass out to her, which doesn't happen unless A-Rod kind of drags her defender and finds that space and then hits a perfect cross. Like there were two ridiculous passes that happened to create that goal. And I, yes, I would like to see more of that. So in a way, it's kind of sad that one of these teams doesn't have to go. Uh, that one of these teams has to go, but, you know, I, knockout rounds, it happens. 
Yeah. <laughs> also, it, it is kind of unfortunate that the winner of that game then is most likely getting North Carolina coverage. Yeah, about that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll swing back to North Carolina, though. All right. Next one, Washington coming in as the two seed against Sky Blue, who then fell last night to the seventh seed. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot more about Washington, but... Just kind of, I feel like general consensus uh, was Sky Blue had a very strong performance, mm-hmm. like relatively for for North Carolina. Obviously, getting that win over Houston, it feels like the first couple games everyone was very I, I, harsh is maybe the right word, but like kind of a what are you what are we doing here? Why yeah. is Mitch Burst playing outside back? And we've started to see the plan for Sky Blue come together a little bit more. Uh, as someone who pays a lot of attention to Washington, how worried are you about Sky Blue in that matchup for them? I was, I was less worried when Andy Sullivan was okay. <laughs> so I know we'll get to that later, but um, you know the the Washington is a very young team, and it's almost like the Sky Blue are in a rebuilding as as much as the Spirit are, and and even though the Spirit may be a little bit further along. Um, it, it is still a tricky matchup. I think that there are some some lineup decisions that has to that have to go right. Uh, there's a style of play that that has to be sort sort of malleable if it's going to because a sky blue can really be intense in in midfield. Um, and so I I saw that and I was a little little concerned. That's not necessarily the reward you get for finishing <laughs> as a two seed. You don't you know you don't get a team that's normally as good or as on such an upward trajectory as the sky blue. But you know. That's what happens, and yeah. uh, we'll 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 figure it out. I think I, I'm still I'm hopeful. Let's put it yeah. that way. All right, last one. Oil Rain versus Chicago Red Stars. I feel like Oil Rain kind of got a gift with that three seed a little bit. Yes. I, I feel like they're a team that has not quite proven uh, the concept on the actual field in terms of execution. Obviously. You know, there's there's a lot going on still in terms of them bringing players back uh, from injury and all all that kind of stuff. But you know, I feel like this is kind of the weirdest toss up game <laughs> out of all four of these quarterfinal matchups. And just kind of curious as to what you're expecting, I guess, even out of out of both teams on this one. Yeah, um, <laughs> Rain have 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 been a, have been another interest. It's those Pacific Northwest teams. I'm not really sure what's going on over there. Um, Rain obviously have have the new the, the new coach, um, and they've been trying to get get used to all that and their and a new style. And I I still I still don't quite know what they're doing. <laughs> and I know it's it's that's perfectly fine. By the way, um, they're just a few games into this. It'll take a while for for it to happen. But I'm kind of looking at it, and if you look at the two teams, even though Chicago hasn't had the results that they probably should have had um, and probably were expecting, um, they still have an amazing midfield. Um, they still, you know, they in, in terms of North Carolina, who I'm sure we'll get to, um, they're the team that played them the best. I mean, they passed through their press, like, with, with it was just a joy to watch. I was like, I could just watch this forever. I don't really care if the game ends 0-0. Mm-hmm. Just watching them destroy the press with just simple, neat passes to feet was really amazing. So um, I think we're due to see the Red Stars be the Red Stars. And if that's the case, the Rain are in some trouble and uh, can head back home and, and continue working things out, whatever whatever yeah. they got to work out up there. Get ready for 2021. Yeah, you can definitely <laughs> see the long-term project. And I, I think that's always you know, first year coaches in NWSL, I think always get that first taste of NWSL and go like, oh, okay, right? Like, I guess (laughs) this is really as advertised. And I think James Clarkson, right, last year with the Dash has now come out the other side and you you can see really, okay, here's what the process was. Here's the roster maneuverings. I still think the rain have a lot of very interesting pieces on this roster, but like, you know, I feel like people were very high on that roster coming into this tournament. And I, I kept going like, We've seen this before, though, where like you look at a roster and you're like, this should really work. And yeah. then it's always better in theory than when it actually comes time to execute. So they have definitely been a very that I think, you know, the the zero zero draw against Portland. I, I was struggling uh, a little <laughs> bit in that one. Yeah. That was one of the games that really tested me in terms of like, oh, OK, we're we're still doing this. Got it. Cool. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, right. Uh, I believe Jason Anderson reported that uh, Ben Steady said that he had to learn to kind of uh, what losing is like and it's like well yeah. yes buddy yeah sorry yeah 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 he said he like didn't sleep for two days <laughs> yeah. and I was just like okay well have fun in this league because 
it's going to be a, a learning adjustment for you. All right, let's yeah. let's dig into the spirit. Okay. I feel like between you, Kim McCauley, Jason Anderson, all you know, we do now have like this little media base uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. covering the spirit. I feel like the three of you especially really sold me on the spirit before this tournament got started. I, I had very high expectations. I feel like they have, for the most part, lived up to them. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious. Do you feel like they've lived up to that hype before the tournament? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's so weird with them because I, you do have to like, or at least I have to continue to remind myself that this team is still, they're very young. They're really growing. Like I really like, uh, I think, uh, she's Megan Doherty Howard. It's like their most seasoned midfielder <laughs> and she'll be 25, I believe this year. And, and mm-hmm. I think, uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. And so it's just like, they are still a very, very young team. They're still trying to put things together. But the pieces are there, the system is there, and it's really an exciting kind of possession-based movement, off-the-ball movement system that is really kind of fun to see, especially when you have, you know, when it works, obviously, Mm -hmm. and when the goals come from it. Um, And so, and of course, they have new pieces. You know, they have Ashley Sanchez, which is a rookie, and they have uh, Kumi Yokoyama on the right wing, who... um, was a you know Japanese international, but this is their first NWSL period. So, you know, it's like you could see it on paper, and you could even see it a little bit more, like a little deeper than just paper, because they're not completely inexperienced. They made a lot of interesting, you know, they made a push for the playoffs that fell just short mm-hmm. um, last season. But you could see what they're trying to do and what the the pieces they're trying to put in place to to accomplish those goals. And they're kind of in that spot where they're so close, but not quite there yet and right. but they're still gonna get there we just know it <laughs> yeah yeah I think one of the I really liked your piece on Ashley Sanchez just in terms of like the spirit of trying things right yes. like generally we are not gonna get this tournament format right like there is right. a specific magic both to Ashley Sanchez but also this tournament format where we are putting players in this tournament structure where they are getting more significant minutes than they would maybe in a regular season where you have kind of the grind of 24 games, right? Right. Where a lot of that trying stuff is hidden more at training sessions rather than in actual game situations. So I'm just kind of curious, like, I mean, one of the things that you, I mean, you called it exhilarating to watch this happen. I'm just kind of curious as to, you know, now we've gotten all four games under our belt. She has that crazy assist, right, that kind of blows <laughs> yeah. up on us. But what have you seen from her? You know, you even said, like, not everything is working, right? right. And that's okay. Right. right. Yeah, she's – so the cool thing about watching Ashley – well, the first thing about Ashley Sanchez is that she's super confident and she's super skilled. So the combination of those two things makes her an interesting player to watch no matter what. But the fact that this tournament environment exists – like you said, she's, she doesn't have to just figure things out in training and then go out there and they say, okay, here's your job, you know, do this, you know, you, you get the scouting report on, on your, on your defender, you figure out when, when they shade you here, you do this or whatever. They basically just, and, and there are still instructions that she's getting, but she also, and the team also doesn't know exactly what she can, what she's fully capable of yet in the NWSL game because she was playing college, you know, a year ago. Mm-hmm. So it's really exciting to see her put these pieces together and figure it out on the fly. So, you know, her, her first match was intense. It was, it was, it was pretty, it was against the red stars. Uh, she was given a start right away. Um, that was the match that was moved you know, the spirit weren't, it was, it was, um, I believe it was three days earlier than what their opening match was supposed mm-hmm. to be. So a tough tournament uh, or tough, tough opponent. And she goes out there and, you know, she, she tries to dribble too much. You know, she has a couple of times in the boxes in the box where she dribbles a bit too much, misses the shooting opportunity both times, but she does not make Julie Ertz. And you're thinking, yeah. okay, all right, rookie. Sure. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, she gets a couple and in, in the next game, you kind of see her grow a little bit and say that, okay, she, now she knows she doesn't, that she can over dribble, which is something that kind of goes back to her college days as well. Mm-hmm. But she's learning in order to be effective at this league, because sometimes in college you can over dribble and it still works out. In this league, you're not going to be able to. So she had two moments, I think in particular against the Thorns, where one, she sets up the dribble like she's going to face the what, one, one V one. And then she cuts in and unleashes a rocket of a shot that it, it was near post, but it was hard. I mean, it, basically the keeper just had to put palms on it and get it away. Right. Um, and then she had another one, which is re- really nice outside of the boot kind of slipped in pass that gave a, that connected a run from Ashley, Ashley Hatch that got 
uh, a shot straight into almost the same similar um, place. So unfortunately, Bixby, the goalkeeper, uh, kept them <laughs> yeah. both out. But those are both right. highlights and were, were going to be highlights if, uh, if they had connected. So it's that kind of like learning on the fly, having the skills to be able to learn on the fly and do things on the fly that has been really cool to watch because we don't get, we're not too privy to this sort of process uh, often. Yeah. And being able to see it makes it exciting because I have no idea what she's going to do in the, in the, in the next game. And, and, you know, she, she will likely start because she's been effective so far. And those two combination of things, you just, you just kind of keep an eye on her and see what she's got next. Yeah. All right. In less positive news for the spirit, Andy Sullivan, yes. right? So it was definitely, uh, you know, people were hopeful, I think, immediately following the game of like, she has a situation with her meniscus where it pops out and then maybe pops back in and like, oh, maybe she can play. She leaves the bubble, gets the MRI done and then torn meniscus. So how big a blow do you think this is for the spirit in terms of not just making it through the quarterfinals, but then, you know, also in theory, semifinal into final for them? You know, the interesting thing, thing is there's kind of two answers and one is better than the other right for for the for the spirit's strongest 11 it's a big blow but the mm-hmm. spirit's strongest 11 hasn't existed in a while <laughs> um through injury issues either from you know obviously the world cup really disrupted it with roosevelt being out but that you know jordan dibiase roosevelt andy sullivan uh midfield hasn't really played together much at all and it's kind of going to be more of the same. <laughs> and yeah. unfortunately, you know, that, and that's an unfortunate thing, but I think, you know, there was a concerted effort to rotate, especially in midfield. I think the spirit rotated a whole lot in midfield and they're able to get some pretty impressive and, and good performances. And obviously you don't know if you can replicate those whenever you need them, but it is good to see that they do have options in midfield. They don't have anybody that does what Andy Sullivan does, but they should be able to piece together a midfield that's strong enough to get through um, at least the next round and perhaps the round after. So we're bummed. Um, we really wanted to see, you know, that, that strong midfield put the pieces together. It was really exciting and it is really exciting, but I believe Rose is still good. They kept her out for, for precautionary reasons. She's still Roosevelt. She's still mm-hmm. insane. <laughs> she still has <laughs> the capability to just dominate a match. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm bummed for Andy because she, she's gone through some, some injury problems, you know, in the, in the past. And she was really excited about getting started um, and, and finishing this tournament. So it is a, bum, a bummer for her. But overall picture for the spirit, I think, is, is going to be all right. I'm not saying it's not going to be an issue, but... I think they have some pieces that they probably before the tournament didn't know they really had um, yeah. given some of the performances. Yeah, that's valid. All right. Uh, last, last soccer question for you. Can anyone beat the courage and <laughs> right. Setting aside that question. Okay. Are there still moral victories that one can take? Maybe, you know, a sky blue against the courage of, mm-hmm. or Chicago, right? Like they don't yeah. get the wins, but they get, this look against the courage who have clearly been the best team in this, in this league, in this tournament. Um, you know, I, I feel like we're going to eventually see the courage go through to the final, but is there a chance, you know, Portland in theory, the, the outcome for Houston, Utah, um, and then whoever comes from the other side of the bracket, do you see uh, an eventual, another new trophy for the courage? Do you think that there's still value for these teams Squaring off against the courage in the meantime. <laughs> uh, <laughs> tough question there. Um, the the my brain says, well, it looked the, the way the courage have looked, and as ruthless as they've been, their their lineup last night was just rude. <laughs> you are already the one seed. What are you doing? But they have their thing. They have their plan. They dominate whatever they do. But I do believe. I think this is right. The last team to beat the courage was Washington spirit. So there is that. And it was Roosevelt who scored that winning goal, which is great. So they can be beat. It will take a combination of a number of things. (laughs) One of them is the courage playing a little lower levels than they usually do. Um, Somebody is either stunning them with a goal early and then kind of changing their game plan a little bit, forcing them press a little bit. Um, 
there's a, you know, the checklist of things that has to happen for that team to lose a game is pretty lengthy. And that's a, a bit annoying, but it's also pretty awesome to watch because they are such a machine. Um, but tournaments are weird. Tournaments, yep. turn, tournaments are interesting. And, you know, you could, you, they could get harangued and you have, you know, you, maybe that's just what happens to them and uh, they can't recover or, you know, it's a late goal and they don't have time to recover. So do I expect that? No, but I'm not necessarily also expecting them to just boringly walk through 2-0, 3-0 um, and lift the trophy after a clean tournament. Um, they could, and this would sound real stupid, but uh, I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's a little more competitive than that. Yeah, the courage do enjoy uh, embarrassing a lot of people after the fact. That is, sure I think, do. something that they they truly <laughs> just delight in. All right, we still so have Paul Riley whining about uh, <laughs> about playing the the early game. The reward is to play yeah, the early game in the yep. heat. So maybe maybe that filters through the players and they're annoyed, and you know they decide they want to go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You never know. Mir- like you know, it. yeah. All <laughs> right. Tell tell the good folks how they can follow you, follow your work, all that kind of stuff. So that way we'll put it in the uh, actual description of the show as well. But want to make sure people know how to track you down. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. Find me on Twitter. It's at not underscore Carlisle. Um, that's L-I-S-L-E, the spelling of Carlisle. Um, and I write for the spirit uh, on Black and Red <laughs> United. Uh, so... <laughs> It's a puppy. And yep, so, uh, that's yeah. mine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's where you can find me most of the time. And, um, you know, on, mostly on Twitter saying random things, trying yeah. to be funny. Yeah, always online. Always online. <laughs> a team. All right. <laughs> Thank you for the time. I appreciate you uh, helping us break down quarterfinals and the joys of the uh, NWSL Challenge Cup. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So thank you to Kristen, Tobin, and Andre for their time this week. And I've got one more thing for you, and that's to make sure that you're following all of the coverage of the WNBA over here at The Athletic as well. So as we wrap up the NWSL Challenge Cup on July 26th, the W will be kicking things off in Florida on July 25th, the day before, with this huge fun matchup between the New York Liberty and Seattle Storm. So if you follow me on social, you know that I already have an abundance of Liberty merch, so I am ready to go for this game. Uh, You can add the WNBA as a league on the site and app over at The Athletic, and then you also don't want to miss out on any stories or coverage, and you can do that by following at The Athletic WNBA on Twitter as well. The vertical is led by the amazing Hannah Withiam, and I get to talk to her on a regular basis, and I am just a much better human for that relationship, so appreciate all the work and sleeplessness that she is about to go through. I am passing the torch over to Hannah. Uh, that's it for this episode. Next week, we're going to run the show on Friday so we can have a full breakdown of the semifinals and preview the NWSL Challenge Cup final for everyone. And as always, if you like the episode, we hope that you'll subscribe. You can always follow us on the Athletic site and app, plus wherever else you might get your podcasts, like Apple or Spotify. And if you really liked it, you can also leave us a review and rate the show. Again, I keep reading all of your reviews. They are amazing. Someone found the show thanks to all the the shoutouts on the (laughs) Challenge Cup broadcast, which is slightly terrifying to realize, but I appreciate you all. Uh, And as always, the deal for new subscribers is still up and running for The Athletic. If you'd like to take 40% off your first year, you can sign up at theathletic.com slash full-time. You can find all of my women's soccer coverage on The Athletic and follow me on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan. Our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman. And from The Athletic, I'm Meg Linehan. Thanks for listening. Mm